I want to share with you for just a few minutes. And uh, there's this message that's in my heart. And of course, we're in a series called I Love My Church, right? How many love this church? This is a great church to be a part of. And I'm blessed because I get to do a part called I Love My City. How many love your city? Now, I've lived in 17 cities in my life. Every single city I've lived in, when I get around people, you know what they say? Man, I can't wait to get out of here. I hate my city. Everywhere. I remember moving to New York City, and people were like, I can't wait to get out of New York City. I'm like, you're an idiot. Are you serious? Why? Oh, and, and especially when they say there's nothing to do. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You want to go get some Indian food? You can do anything. Come on, it's a city that never sleeps. I'm bored. Really? And everybody seems to feel that way about their city, right? But the whole goal of a church is not about that church. It's about what they can do in that city. God wants to use us to do great things. Amen? And, uh, and so there's this passage of scripture uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you, and I'm going to talk a little bit, and uh, maybe. And uh, I love, I was listening to that song. I, I'd never heard that song before. And, it, it, you know, it says, the world is dying to know who you are. And I just had to write that down during worship. How many know the world is dying to know who he is? What's up, my brother? The, the world is dying to know who he is. And then, and then that other part, it said, I had, I had to write down, I never heard it. It says, if less of me means, means more of you, take everything. Yeah. I love when John 3.30 and John the Baptist pastor said, I must decrease so he can increase. The more I give up of who I am, the more I can have of who he is. And if more of you means less of me, then take everything I am so I can have more of you. The beauty of that is the more of you you let go, the more you truly find yourself. The more of you, of your insecurities and your shame and your guilt and your inadequacies, the more of, of that you let go, the more you begin to find out who you are in Christ. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And so I'm reading this passage and I'm like, Lord, what can I say about this city and how can we just love our city and, and what's anything you can drop? And the Lord just dropped this quick passage. I'll talk fast, don't I? I really do talk fast, don't I? Do I really do? You know, in our, in our church years ago, when I was youth pastor in South Louisiana, there was, they, we had a, a lot of Spanish people in our church, you know, and, and, uh, and so they would have people in the balcony, and they'd have to preach with me, and they loved it and hated it. They were like, I get to translate for Pastor Randy? I'm like, yes, no, but yes, no. <laughs> and they're up there, they're like fire, you know, and they're just going at it, you know, and, uh, and, and, and trying to keep up. The blessing is that I can get a lot of message out, and you can listen to it later in slow motion. It's perfect. <laughs> Jonah is known as the reluctant prophet, and we're going to go through this so fast. I'm going to unpack it a little bit, shout a little bit maybe, try to make you cry so we can go home. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amatea, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked his people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. How many have ever done that? You knew God called you to do something. You knew you were here for a reason. And you just get up and you do the opposite thing of what he says. Jonah got up and says, uh, I'm not going to Nineveh. And he went 1,200 miles and tried to go 1,200 miles in the opposite direction. Right? But how many know God's not done? So Jonah gets up. It's, it's funny. It's like, but Jonah got up. Well, but God does this now. So but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to, hoping, this, look how dumb this is, 
hoping to escape from the Lord by selling to Tarshish. It is so foolish sometimes to think that you can try to disrupt the plan of God for your life. You might delay it. You might invoke some horrible things on your life, but he will fulfill his purposes. But the Lord, Lord hurled, that did sound Southern, but the Lord, but the Lord, see Jake's put something on me. I'm going to break that thing off in the name of Jesus. You know, my, one thing is Southern, but redneck, I'm not redneck. I'm Southern. Now my friends used to call me a closet redneck. All right. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, I just ask that you speak to our hearts today. Open our eyes. Open our ears. We are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love this because it says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh, look, Jonah, look, why would he, I, I would think he doesn't want to go because he's afraid of Nineveh. This was connected with the Assyrians. They were violent people. The way they murdered people was just horrific. I'm not going to get into the details of this. Uh, you know, we talked about the crucifixion on the first night of camp. It was kind of graphic, and a girl passed out. That's exciting. I'm going to be honest with you. I was like, yes. Never made anybody pass out before. <laughs> Woo, glory. I just messaged my friends. Made someone pass out. Praise Jesus. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but she really passed out. It was awesome. And it wasn't awesome. But, you know, come on. Right? All right. Okay. Get up and go to that great city. You think Nineveh was no good. God's saying, go to the great city of Nineveh. And I think if there's anything the Lord would say to us today, I love that phrase, I love my city. And I got another little spinoff. Here's my title for today. Get up and go. How many like this right here? Come on, let me add a little South Louisiana in on this thing, okay? How many Tiger fans we got? Woohoo! me and Paul. There we go. Got a little few little men and women of God in here. I don't know about the rest of you. All right. Get up and go. Now, in the SEC, other teams hate, hate seeing that beloved anointed word right there. Said, you mess up every word. Nah. Get up and go. Say, get up and go. If you love your city, you got to get up and go. Get up and go do something. I love what we're having in here right now. This is a blessing. This, that first service was so exciting. I'm like, oh, come on. That first service is one where kind of, you know, they're slow to come in. You come in here, and it's like, where's everybody? And then by the time I get up here, it's like the house is getting full, right? You know, it's great. We're, we're, we're soaking it in. This, this worship team, my goodness. But we got to get up and go do something. God has put something inside of you, and it's not for you just to keep for yourself. A lot of Christians struggle because they're constipated. They're bored Christians. You just take in, you take in, you take in, you take in, and there's never a movement in your life. And so you sit, you're fat, you're full, and you're wondering how come you don't have an appetite for the things of God anymore. It's because we're buffet Christians. We think when Paul said, I buffet my body, we thought he said, I buffet my body. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so here, God has his plan for this great city. And so what is his plan? To send this reluctant prophet. Now, how many know God had a little plan also for him? And so Jonah gets swallowed up by a well. So he's in the well. How many know when you get swallowed up by a big fish, you come to a place of repentance pretty quick? It's a great prophetic passage here, very kindred to Jesus, of course, and his suffering. It's amazing. And then here as it goes on in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Now, after he'd gotten thrown up, he comes to repentance. Guess what? When you come to repentance because you've resisted the plan of God and the call of God and you don't want to be used by God, praise God, he's so merciful. You come back in and God's like, wonderful, you are great now, now. And he's going to tell you to go do the exact same thing he'd already told you to do. 
So you're coming in to go to Zoe. You're coming to go to an internship. And others that are here to go to an internship. Why? So you can get groomed. So you can have a deep theological foundation. So you can get emptied of yourself. So you can learn what true ministry is about. Let me talk to all of us as believers. When I gave my life to Christ, I was 16. And two and a half weeks later, I preached my first message in the back of a truck. I didn't need a Bible school for that. You don't need a lot of training for that. You just need to get up and go. God has already placed something inside of you. It's your testimony. Amen? The Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, they over came the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I got the blood of the lamb. We all have that universal. We've been set free, right? Amen. Yeah. The punishment that he inflict, he was inflicted that came upon him was for my sins. I am delivered. Satan, you have no hold on me. The blood of the lamb took the price tag for what you're trying to bring me into. I belong to him. Now I'm God's property. Not only that, but there's a word of testimony in my mouth that I'm going to kick your butt up between your shoulders. Why? He's already made me victorious. I've overcome. A righteous man falls down seven times, but he gets right back up. Don't laugh at me, my enemy. When I have fallen, I shall arise. It's not over with if you've got breath in your body. Amen? I didn't know. Nobody told me when I was climbing into the back of my truck or jumping in as a 16-year-old, whoa, 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 don't do that. Why? Because you haven't been sitting in church for 10 years with your arms crossed during worship. Don't you know? That's not what we do. I thank God nobody told me what I shouldn't or couldn't do. So I just got up there. And I was like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> then I started reading my Bible more, started learning a few things, and that was fun. But guess what? None of that helped me out there. It helped me grow as a believer. But there's something about when you get out of your comfort zone and say, I'm going to go love on somebody right now today. Just get up and go. Get up and go across the table and go find somebody else. Oh, my goodness. I want to say some stuff. Listen to me. Say, get up and go. To the great city, verse 2, of Nineveh, and deliver the message I have given you. There is a message that has been deposited on the inside of you that God wants you to go and to deliver to this city right here. To this city. To this city. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command. Good for Jonah. And went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Look at verse 10. We're going to drop down now verse 10. When God saw that they had done how they uh, saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Now, how many know that we know God is sovereign? Amen. But don't tell me that we can't change God's mind. Hmm? There's something interesting, fascinating how God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and there you're going to present him as a sacrifice to me. Abraham gets up there, raises the knife, and God says, hold it. Sends the angel and says, now I know that you won't hold anything back. It's like the Lord allows us to prove to him what we can do. Amen? What we were willing to do on his behalf. So here it says that he changed his mind. We can see this in Jeremiah 18. We see it in so many different arenas in life. God gives us an opportunity. <clears throat> Why? Because when Jonah delivered that word, they repented. Do you really think that God can't do something in the valley? Do you really think that God can't do something in Medford? I don't care. <clears throat> I don't care. Now, look, I'm from the South. I don't care what we think politically. I've been, I'm probably one of the most unpolitically savvy, intelligent people. I have to get around other people and say, what's that going on over there? I, I've, just, I've just never been that connected with politics. I didn't see the Apostle Paul rallying for nobody. All right? Now, at the same time, how I many of we have a moral responsibility as believers to not be idiots, to vote, and to be a voice of truth and culture. Amen? 
But I want to say this right here. I think that if we saw more people get saved, get born again, and become disciples of Jesus, guess what? I think we'd see our cities change. When the Spirit of Christ comes in, all of a sudden we begin to grow in Christ and get in the Word of God and that anointing, the Spirit of Christ is on us. Oh my goodness, we begin to feel that sweet conviction of the Holy Spirit. Gosh, sexual immorality is wrong. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't keep lying. Oh my gosh, something needs to change in the way I talk, in my mouth, in my language. How I many know there's this process of sanctification in our lives? The greatest way to see revival in a city is to see more people come into the kingdom of God. And if we think it's because of the, what the man does up here, we're sadly mistaken. I've saw more people come to Christ out there than I ever saw in here. I also, and I've said this a couple times this past week, but listen, the river of God, years ago there was a big river movement in the church. It was awesome. It was great. People were coming in churches and the river of God and spirit-filled churches and their belly flopping in the river. And it's awesome. You know, everybody's got the rubber duckies on their floaties. <laughs> Woo, it's the river. But the Bible says in Ezekiel 47 that the river of God came out of the temple. And when it came out from under the temple, how many know there's a river that flows from the temple, from the house of God? There is a river that flows. When we come in here and we experience that worship, when the word of the Lord goes forth, how many know there's a river that's getting released in our lives every Sunday morning? Huh? Even on Wednesday nights, we're coming back, we're getting plenished again. There's a river of God that flows. The Bible says that river brings healing. And it says this, that you've got to go a thousand cubits out before it even gets to your ankles. Another thousand, it gets to your knees. Another thousand, your waist. And then it gets so deep that you can swim in it. The river gets the deepest the further it gets from the house of God. Amen? And then the Bible says that the, he brought him back to the temple. We go out and we come back in. We go out and we bring him back in. All right, that was a side note. All right. So here, God changed his mind. And look in chapter 4 and verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Obviously, we see this real quick picture in Jonah chapter 1. How many know there was more of the story that was happening? Hmm? So Jonah was obviously, so, so why didn't Jonah want to go? I, maybe he wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. Look at this. That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager. It's like you're waiting to. You're just ready to turn back from destroying people. And listen to how foolish Joni is. Just kill me now, Lord. <laughs> I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Jonah did not want to go deliver that word because he did not want them to repent so they could be destroyed. Huh? Jonah had some really deep psychological issues here. <clears throat> Greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Didn't I say before I left home, you do this? Look at this. I knew that, you know what? God has a word for Medford, Oregon. God has a word for Ashland. God has a word for this entire region. I'm going to give you a word from heaven right now for your brothers and your sisters, and for the people that live right next door to you that you've never even met probably. You know what? A few decades ago, you move into a home, and how many of people are bringing you baked apple pie? I don't know what they do here in the South. They bring you pies. They cook for you. How you doing? You know, ready to meet people, connect with people. Today, everybody lives inside their house. They got their phones, and they just live secluded lives. God has a word for your neighbors, even the ones you can't stand. God has a word for your coworkers. God has a word for the people you can't stand and the type of people you can't stand. Here's what it is. He is merciful and compassionate. 
He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love, and he's eager to turn back from destroying people. God is madly in love with your city. <clears throat> madly in love with your city. We get down down, and then what God does, God separates Jonah. So Jonah's over here, and, um, and, and, and the, he provides a shade tree. So here's Jonah on the shade tree, and this plant begins to grow up, and Jonah falls madly in love with this little plant. He brings this scathing word, the king of Nineveh, all the people, they go into full-blown repentance. It's insane. Later on, Nineveh didn't repent, and they were destroyed. But here now is a time of mercy. And they're embracing the word of the Lord. They're being, how many know the Lord even gives a word over your life, and if you'll embrace it, you can have mercy in your life? Some of you are here right now, and you need to know this, that God has mercy for you. You don't have to be under God's wrath. He put his wrath on his son so that you could be able to receive his favor and mercy right now. So listen, so then... The plant dies, and then Jonah gets angry again. Jonah had some anger. He needs some anger management. <clears throat> this is the quickest I think that the jo story of Jonah has ever been delivered. Maybe not. Verse 10, Jonah was mad. Look, I, I, this isn't on those, but in verse 9 it says, Jonah, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And yes, Jonas replied, or retorted, even angry enough to die. Jonah was really a messed up kid. How many of you ever had a kid that was bratty like that? <laughs> okay. Verse 10, look at this. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? It's the only book of the Bible that ends with a question like this, because we get the opportunity to answer this. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city. Some say that when he says, I feel sorry, some say that this actually means that I weep greatly. That I feel sorry to this place of mercy, compassion, and brokenness for such a great city. We look at a city and we curse it, not realize that we're cursing ourselves. God wants to bring prosperity, business, abundance, provision. Years ago, I got very disgruntled because some people abused the message of prosperity. And I closed myself off from the blessing of God because I thought I do not want to be identified with people that are taking advantage and just abusing. How many know God knows how to correct and bring his ministers under, into repentance too? So I want nothing to do with that. I don't want to be identified with that. And then in my habit is I'm going through the, the book of the Bible, or the whole Bible, I go through, I read through the Bible every January and I start getting just stricken. I'm like, every single person in the Old Testament that served God, he blessed crazy. Noah. Abraham, Isaac, <laughs> Jacob, David. How I many know you can't run away from the blessing of God? It will pursue you and overtake you. Oh, no, you're going to be blessed. I don't want it. No, you're going to, you better come back here. Slap. Blessing. Just got to take it. Take this blessing. I have a thing about the forced blessing. I don't have time to share it here, but it's awesome. Okay, I'll, real quick, I'll say it then. All right, I got enough time. Y'all ready? Here's the forced blessing. Can I share the forced blessing real quick? You know the forced blessing, right? Oh, praise God, you're about to, mm. <laughs> Who's ever had somebody say, I want to take you to eat. I want to bless you. Who's ever had that happen? And that means they want to take you to eat, Skylar, right? And that means they're going to buy your food. Because they wanted to bless you. Oh, really? So if I want to bless you, I got to take you somewhere to eat and I get to pay for your food. So I spend my money and who gets 30, 60, 100 fold back? The person who blessed. So if I really love you, 
I want to do what I call a forced blessing. Somebody's walking in it right now. You're receiving it. I need to take you to eat and find a way to make you pay for my food. And sometimes when you give, does it hurt? Oh, it hurts. I mean, it hurts sometimes when you give. But when you release that money, even though it hurts, you can know, uh uh-huh. That bread's coming back on many waters. That's some food. So if you really want to force a blessing, you go to eat, you find a way to make them pay. There are many ways to do this. Oh my gosh, I forgot my wallet. (laughs) Or when you see them come with the ticket, you slide out. I'll be right back. I'm going to go to the bathroom. And you just stay in there for a long time. That is the miracle. Oh, bless you. All right. I, I truly am anointed to bless people in an amazing way. The world is dying to know who he is. The world is dying to know who you are. We can sing that. But did you know that we're the answer? How are they going to know who he is? What did Apostle Paul say? How will they hear without a preacher? And how can they hear if we're not sent? You are sent to your city. Amen? Sent to your city. My goodness. This man here with the insanely cool goatee that's tied up like that. I'm incessantly jealous right now and intimidated by you. (laughs) There's an evangelist all over you. I'm an evangelist. There's an evangelist all over you. I just see young men flocking around you. And they're not just coming around you just because they think you're cool. Because there's something on your life. If you didn't have a goatee like that, they want to know who you are. There's something, there's a word that God's put in your mouth. I don't even, I don't know you. I don't know if I've saw you here before. I'm sorry, I apologize. But I just see the hand of God on you. I just want to encourage you with that right now. If I was in a coffee shop somewhere and I saw you after I got over my intimidation, I would think, this man, I I don't know who he is, but I I feel the spirit of God over him. It draws, it's like a magnet. It pulls people to you. It is. Listen, we can't go somewhere but help to leak out on people. They want to know who's inside of us. We just got to get up and go. Get up and go. One of my favorite movies is The Guardian. Who's ever saw The Guardian? The Guardian is an incredible movie about the Coast Guard. They actually filmed it in New Orleans after Katrina. And it's about these rescue people. And how many know they do? The Coast Guard goes in there and they have to rescue people in the most crazy. They're gonna, they, they have to risk their lives. They may not come back. And in the movie, when Kevin Costner is training his crew, here's how they ended. They came in and they said, he said this to them. They're all standing there. And he says, class 5506, will you come find me if I am lost? And they said, aye, aye, Master Chief. He said, will you come save me if I am drowning? Aye, aye, Master Chief. Will you come find me? I want to know that, listen, if I was out there dying, come find me. If I'm drowning, come find me. You might be here this morning, you feel like you're drowning. But there's a rescue boat being launched right now. And I'm going to tell you what the rescue boat is. It's the local church. It is the local church right here. Joy Medford is a boat that needs to be launched, and it is. Every time a small group goes out from here, yeah. I don't want to call them joy groups. I don't think, every time a joy group goes out, that's a, that's a launch boat. That's a rescue boat being sent out. When I walk into a coffee shop, I don't care what city I am in. I don't care. Last week, it was in an airport, and I recognize when I walk into a place and sat down, guess what? It's a rescue boat. 
And there was a lady there in a moment, a divine moment happened for this woman because my flight was delayed for two hours and it was delayed because God had a divine appointment for her. Wow, there was a rescue boat right there for her and her family. Amen? You're a rescue boat. I want to tell you this quick story as we close. Years ago, there was a boat that was wrecked off the coast of Scotland. Some of you have heard this before. I'm going to share it one more time. There was a boat that was a vessel that was wrecked off the coast of Scotland. A lighthouse went up. The alarms went off. Villagers rushed to the beach. The storm at sea just so battered that ship. It couldn't see rocks. It hits the rocks, just getting decimated. There are men holding on to rocks. Men are holding on to pieces of the boat, just trying to stay afloat. Fires are lit all over the beach as the men are rushing and taking a boat and several men launch into a boat and they take off to try to go rescue these men. People are praying all over the beach and they'd watch that lonely boat as it would go up over a wave just to disappear on the other side. Hit up over the next wave to disappear over the other side. They're praying, God, have mercy on those men and have mercy on our husbands, our fathers, our sons. Because everybody there, on that beach, there were parents there with sons in that boat. There was a wife there with her husband in the boat. There were kids there that had a daddy in that boat. After a couple of hours, that boat's making its way back, slowly coming back. And a man named John rushes to the edge of the shore, holds his hands up and says, have you saved all the men? And the cry came back, yes, we've saved the men. Everyone on the beach starts cheering and shouting, rejoicing, praising God. The boat comes in, and those, the family members are hugging their husbands who risked their lives to save these men. They're hugging these men who are just so, so grateful that they got rescued. But John is still looking out there. He's searching, and he sees there's another man out there holding on to a rock. And he says, wait a minute, come here. You said you saved all the men, but there's a man out there still. I see him. They said, yeah, there's another man left. Our strength was gone. The waves were so difficult that we knew if we tried to get over there to save him, we're all going to die. We didn't think it was worth losing all of our lives just to save one more person. He says, you will go back now, won't you? They said, we can't. We don't have any strength left. We'll all die. He says, if you won't go, then I'll go. Who will go with me? Today, there's somebody here saying, who will go? I'll go. Something about whenever your back straightens up, I'm going to tell you what, it begins to inspire other believers. Three or four men rushed forward and they said, we'll go. And they climbed into the boat. John's walking as he's about to step into the boat. He hears a woman scream and he knows that voice. He turns and looks as his mother runs and throws her arms over his neck and holds on so tight. She says, John, I will not let you go. You won't go. I'm not going to lose you. 20 years ago, your father drowned at sea. Ten years ago, your brother William left, and we've never saw him again. And now if you go and you die, I won't be able to live. And he says to her, his mother, Mother, I love you. And if I die, God will take care of you. And he gently loosened her arms off of his shoulders, kissed her on her, her cheek, steps into the boat as they launch off. Prayer vigils begin as that lonely boat makes his way up a wave to disappear. Makes himself up a wave just to disappear on and forward. Until finally, about an hour and a half later, that boat's making its way back. And a man rushes to the edge of the shore and cries out, Have you saved the man? To which John cried back, Yes, we've saved the man. Someone please go tell my mother that it is my brother William. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head right now. There is a boat that has been launched. 
There are Williams that are hanging on for dear life in Medford. And you know who those Williams are? They're sons and daughters. They're mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. It's that person that's making your coffee in the morning. You're so quick, you can't wait to get out of there. And they're holding on for dear life. And all they need is somebody to come in and say, hey, I love you. I just want to tell you real quick that Jesus is crazy about you. All it takes is five seconds of your life. This morning, if you're here, maybe you're the one that you need the rescue boat to come to you. Guess what? There's a rescue boat here right now. And it was launched by the, no one else other than Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus is the captain of this ship. And he's saying to you this morning, all you got to do is come get up inside this boat right now. And as you climb up in that boat, it doesn't matter what kind of addictions, what kind of vices, what kind of thinking you have. He just wants you in that boat. You can't clean, clean a fish before you catch it. All he wants, come get in this boat with me. And he's going to wrap his arms around you. And he will love the stains out of your life. If you're here this morning and you're not right with God, you have no relationship, maybe you've never been born again, I'm going to pray a simple prayer right now. And if this is you, I just want you to pray with me. Right where you're sitting, just say this. Say, Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. God, I'm sorry. Today, with your help, Lord, I'm turning away from sin and I'm turning to you. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for my sins. And Jesus, I believe you were raised from the dead. Today, I confess that you, Jesus, are Lord. Come into my life and change me. Now, with no one looking around, not going to embarrass you or have you stand. But if you're here this morning and you prayed that with me, I'm just going to pray over you quickly right here. But if you prayed that with me, could you just lift your hand up right now? So, man, today I prayed. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Is there anyone else? You said, today I prayed. I'm coming back to the Lord. Father, I thank you right now for your salvation. We thank you for your love. Thank you for that rescue boat that was launched. Thank you that you are not finished with us. God, you're the one who draws us. Finish your work. Finish what you started. God, I thank you for every person that prayed today, every person that returned. But they're going to find love in this house, love in the local church. And God, I pray that you will also help them to launch that rescue boat and go help win their family and friends. In Jesus' name, amen.